Hello, and welcome back to episode 22 of Podcast Royal. We are going to pause the normal royal rundown in our planned segment on royal wedding dresses for obvious reasons, the passing of Prince Philip, the Duke of Edinburgh, on Friday, April 9th. We dropped a special mini episode on that Friday morning. But of course, this episode, episode 22, will be dedicated to the life and legacy of Prince Philip. Philip passed away peacefully on his own terms at home at Windsor Castle at 99 years old following an extensive hospital stay earlier this year. There is so much to say, but first I wanna check in with you, Jessica, how are you? I am doing well, how are you? I'm good, I'm, I'm, I'm torn up about Philip's death and I've thought this past week or these past few days, today's Tuesday, so it's been, what, five days, about why this death is so impactful for me. Because, I mean, sure, I like Philip, but, you know, it, he, I mean, he, I wouldn't put him in my top five favorite royals list, for example. But mm -hmm. I think that it just represents everyone who's lost someone this past year, which is so many of our listeners and so many people around the globe. And I've lost all four of my grandparents. And so it just very much acutely feels like those losses are coming back up for me. And Philip being born in 1921 is a member of what I call the greatest generation. And it just seems that there's so few members of the greatest generation left feels like, and you'll talk about this in your segment, but it feels like there's so few gentlemen like Philip left and so few love stories like the one between he and the queen left. And it just, it's, it's just very, very sad. And I feel a lot of grief for the queen who everyone is saying is so remarkably strong as we knew she would be. I mean, he's 99 years old. He's been hospitalized most of 2021. We knew that this was an eventuality, right? But it doesn't make it any easier. So I'm just, I'm just sad. I'm just kind of reeling this week. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think it's something that we can all relate to. We've watched the family mourn these past few days and, and I think we can all relate to that feeling and um, it makes them seem like a, a real family. It's, you know, it's something that, um, you know, everyone experiences and, and I've reflected about, you know, on this, this past week as well. And, um, really thought a lot about just the circle of life and, um, and the sorrow and, and losing someone, but also the joy that comes with new life. I actually, I have a, a bird that has built a nest outside of my front door and I've been watching it this past week. And I was coming downstairs this afternoon and I heard chirping really loud, louder than usual. And I looked out the window and saw the bird and the eggs had hatched and I could see little baby birds poking their heads up out of the nest and, and the mother bird was feeding them. And I couldn't help but smile and feel so much joy watching, um, you know, new birth in this springtime season. It happens every year. Um, and, and it just had me reflecting on uh, the joy that I that I felt watching these birds, but also the sorrow that we feel in um, in the loss of, of Prince Philip. And it's just, um, you know, it, it's something to to really think on and, and reflect yeah. on this week. 
Yeah, I like how you put that, the circle of life, because we've got Philip who's departed at 99 years old after a long and robust life. And then we've got, you know, of course, um, Eugenie giving birth in February, Zara giving birth in March, and Megan, who is due to give birth anytime, um, you know, within the next couple of months. And there's so much joy, but that doesn't mean there's not sadness over his loss. So I want to start by talking about Philip's funeral plans. So this episode will come out on Wednesday, April, what day is today? April 14th. And Philip's funeral is set for Saturday, April 17th. So as Philip drew his last breath, which is a moment that his daughter-in-law, Sophie, Countess of Wessex, told ITV News was very peaceful and, quote, just like somebody took him by the hand and off he went, which is such a beautiful statement. Operation Fourth Bridge commenced. That is the code name, in case you didn't know that, for Philip's death and his subsequent funeral. And that is named after the Fourth Bridge, which opened in 1964 and connects Edinburgh to Perth. And of course, Philip is the Duke of Edinburgh. So at the time of its construction, the fourth bridge was the longest suspension bridge in the world outside of the United States, and it was designed by two English engineers. Did you know that his, um, I guess his death slash funeral had a name and a plan behind it? I did not know that. I knew that he had been involved in, in planning his funeral, uh, but I have not heard of Operation Fourth Bridge. So I just wrote a story for Southern Living about this. And when the queen passes away, that code word will be London Bridge is down. And then um, Charles has a, and I just wrote about this, but it's a name that I didn't remember, it's like Manai Bridge. And then um, the queen mother, Queen Elizabeth II's mom, when she died in 2002, that was Operation Tay Bridge. So I, they're all connected to bridges, which is interesting. But um, yes, not only did not only did Philip's funeral and death have a name, but Philip, as you just mentioned, basically planned his funeral. An interesting fact that I learned while researching the Southern Living article. So I, the Queen Mother died in 2002 at 102 years old. So, I mean, they had to know that her death was somewhat coming, right? And, but when Diana died in 1997 at 36 in, in a car accident, suddenly and unexpectedly, of course they had no plans for her death. That was, you know, she was 36 years old and it happened so suddenly. So they used the Operation Tay Bridge plans for the blueprint for Diana's funeral. So the queen mother who at the time was 95, watched her own funeral's dress rehearsal play out in front of her. Is that not strange? Wow. Yeah, and so she said, well, that's that's the dress rehearsal for me. And then five years later, she passed away and the actual Operation Tay Bridge was executed. I thought that was really interesting. But so, I mean, in, in such typical on-brand royal fashion, everything is planned, protocol, preparation. So the, the plans for Operation Fourth Bridge have been in place for years. Queen, the Queen, Eliz Queen Elizabeth's, um, the London Bridge is down. They have been planning that since the mid-1960s. And she was only about roughly Diana's age, like late 30s, early 40s, when her plans went into place. So 
Philip is 99 years old. The plans have been in place for Operation Fourth Bridge for years. Philip himself heavily consulted, guided, and eventually approved the plans. But that said, because of COVID, the plans have been extensively revised and scaled back, but actually that probably would have made Philip very happy. He always had the wish that his funeral be a very simple, low-key, opposite of ostentatious and over the top. Um, his funeral, according to Buckingham Palace, will be, quote, much reduced in scale and with no public access. All of it will take place outside of public view and inside the grounds of Windsor Castle, which is where he passed away on Friday. But the proceedings will be televised, so I will be watching. It will be at 3 p.m. on Saturday, April 17th. That's London time. So if you're on Central time, that would be 9 a.m. East Coast, 10 a.m. And then uh, West Coast, that would be 7 a.m. So after Philip passed on Friday, an eight-day national period of mourning commenced, and it will continue up until and including Philip's funeral. One minute of silence will be observed before the ceremony's 3 p.m. start time, and the flags in the UK will continue to fly at half-mast on official buildings. The royal family has entered, as of April 9th, a 30-day period of royal mourning, which is observed by the family, their households, and troops who are committed to ceremonial duties. Those troops will be seen with black armbands on their tunics during this period of mourning. So as we speak, Philip is currently lying at rest in the private chapel at Windsor Castle, where he will remain until Saturday. And at around 2.40 p.m. on Saturday, his coffin will be moved in a small ceremonial procession from the state entrance to the castle to St. George's Chapel. According to Town & Country, his coffin will travel in a customized Land Rover that sounds so much like Philip, and will be covered in the flag of his personal royal standard, along with a wreath of flowers and his naval cap and sword. Following the service, he will then be interred at the Royal Vault. It has not been confirmed where Philip's burial will take place, his final resting place, but the Independent predicts that he will likely be buried at Frogmore Gardens, which is where Queen Victoria and Prince Albert are also buried. So per the UK's government COVID guidelines, only 30 people will be in attendance at Philip's funeral, which that has me thinking, how are they going to make those cuts? Because Philip has four children and three of them are married. So that's seven plus the queen, that's eight. And then of course the grandchildren and their spouses and then the great grandchildren, that number is, if it's not, it's, if it's not at 30, it's very close to it. And so I wonder who is going to make the cut. I don't, I don't have those answers. So only 30 can be there. That's a stark change from the original Operation Fourth Bridge plan. The original plan called for representatives of charities associated with Philip during his long life of public service to attend his funeral, in addition to foreign heads of state and other royal families. The new plans, however, have been approved by the Queen and, quote, still very much reflect the personal wishes of the Duke, said a spokesperson from Buckingham Palace, continuing, quote, while this is naturally a time of sadness and mourning for the royal family and the many others who knew and admired the Duke of Edinburgh, it is hoped that coming that the coming days will also be seen as an opportunity to celebrate 
a remarkable life, remarkable both in terms of his vast contribution and lasting legacy. So tributes have been pouring out for Philip from his children and his grandchildren. We have heard from almost everybody um, in the family. We heard from Sophie, who I mentioned earlier, Harry, who has flown to the UK and is currently quarantining at Frogmore Cottage with Eugenie and Jack prior to Saturday's funeral, shared a statement on Monday saying, quote, my grandfather was a man of service, honor, and great humor. He was authentically himself with a seriously sharp wit and could hold the attention of any room due to his charm. And also because you never knew what he might say next. That's so true. He mm -hmm. will be remembered as the longest reigning consort to the monarch, a decorated serviceman, a prince, and a duke. But to me, like many of you who have lost a loved one or grandparent over the pain of this past year, he was my grandpa, master of the barbecue, legend of banter, and cheeky right till the end. He has been a rock for Her Majesty the Queen with unparalleled devotion by her side for 73 years of marriage. And while I could go on, I know that right now he would say to all of us, beer in hand, oh, do get on with it. I love that. So mm -hmm. on that note, Grandpa, thank you for your service, your dedication to Granny, and for always being yourself. You will be sorely missed, but always remembered by the nation and the world. I'm about to get emotional. I didn't expect this. Megan, Archie, and I, as well as your future great-granddaughter, will always hold a special place for you in our hearts. Harry concluded his statement with the Royal Marines motto, per mar, which I'm, I'm sorry, I'm probably mispronouncing this, per mar, per terum, which translates to by sea, by land. So of course, Megan and Archie did not accompany Harry to the UK for the funeral because Megan's doctors advised her not to travel because her pregnancy is too far along. Yeah, I um, was wondering before I found out he was staying at Frogmore where he would be quarantining. And I, I wondered if he would find a place at Windsor Castle since the queen is there. Uh, but it does make sense that he would stay at Frogmore. Um, I just wasn't sure um, if he would with Eugenie and Jack having the new baby and everything. So it's it's good to hear yeah. where he's staying. Yeah, so Frogmore is still he and Megan's house, right? He they, mm -hmm. they own it. And so they're renting it out to Eugenie and Jack. So that makes sense that he would go back there. And I, I'm confident in saying that Frogmore is big enough for, for everyone <laughs> yeah. to be there. Harry's quarantining alone in one part of the house, I'm sure. So William also released a statement Monday saying, my grandfather was an extraordinary man and part of an extraordinary generation. Catherine and I will continue to do what he would have wanted and will support the queen in the years ahead. I will miss my grandpa, but I know he would want us to get on with the job. And he shared, William shared this adorable photo of Philip with George in 2015 when George was only two. And, um, you know, just what a, what an impact Philip has been able to have on not just his four children and his eight great, his eight grandchildren, excuse me, but also his 10 soon to be 11 great grandchildren. What an impact. So Charles, Philip's eldest child, shared a video message on Saturday saying, quote, my dear Papa was a very special person who I think above all else would have been amazed by the reaction and the touching things that have been said about him. And from that point of view, we are, my family, deeply grateful for all that. It will sustain us in this particular loss and at this particularly sad time. We also heard from Anne, who is the second eldest and only daughter of Philip. She said, quote, 
you know it's going to happen, but you are never really ready. That's so true. My father has been my teacher, my supporter, and my critic, but mostly it is his example of a life well-lived and service freely given that I most wanted to emulate. She continued that his, quote, ability to treat every person as an individual in their own right with their own skills came about through all the organizations with which he was involved. I regard it as an honor and a privilege to have been asked to follow in his footsteps and it has been a pleasure to have kept him in touch with their activities. I know how much he meant to them in the UK, across the Commonwealth and in the wider world. And also thank supporters for their love amid a heartbreaking time for the family. She said, quote, I would like to emphasize how much the family appreciate the messages and memories of so many people whose lives he also touched, she wrote. We will miss him, but he leaves a legacy which can inspire us all. So Anne and Edward, who is the youngest of the four, took part in a pre-recorded interview with ITV that was scheduled to be broadcast when their father died. And in it, Anne said, quote, without him, life will be completely different. But from society's perspective, he was able to keep pace with the kind of technological changes that have such an impact. But above all that, it's not about the technology, it's about the people. Anne also spoke about in the ITV broadcast, her father's nomadic childhood, settling in Paris as a child after being smuggled out of the Greek island of Corfu in a crate, which is insane. Um, Philip had quite a childhood. We'll talk a little bit about his life, but I encourage you to pick up Ingrid Seward's biography on Prince Philip or uh, Philip Eads' biography on Prince Philip. Philip has had a very fascinating life of almost 100 years. So Philip being much younger than his sisters, largely separated from his father and his mother's mental health troubles, Anne said it, quote, must have been really quite difficult. He was virtually a refugee at this stage because he had nowhere else to go, literally. We even heard from Andrew, who we have not heard from in some time, and Andrew called his father the grandfather of the nation and said, quote, I loved him as a father. He was so calm. He was always someone you could go to and he would always listen. Andrew also said, quote, I feel very sorry and supportive of my mother, who's feeling it, I think, probably more than everyone else. The queen, as you'd expect, is an incredibly stoic person. She described his passing as a miracle. She's contemplating, I think is the way that I would put it. She described it as having left a huge void in her life, but we, the family, the ones that are close to her, are rallying around to make sure we are there to support her. I have heard that on Thursday night, April 8th, Philip began to go into distress and the courtiers urged the queen to get Philip to the hospital. And the queen must have known that this was probably the end and one of Philip's biggest wishes was to die at home in mm -hmm. at Windsor. And, you know, he fought for a month to get out of the hospital. He underwent heart surgery to get out of the hospital simply so that he could go home to Windsor and pass away on his own terms. So the queen refused to take him to the hospital and he passed away peacefully in his bed at Windsor with the queen by his side on Friday morning. So we have not yet heard from the queen but she is said to be doing amazing, all things considered, and is steady and calm and has ample support around her. Philip, of course, was the love of the queen's life, having met him when she was 13 and never having eyes for anyone after that. 
They married on November 20th, 1947, over 73 years ago. Their love story was an enduring part of both Philip and Her Majesty's lives. And on their golden wedding anniversary in 1997, the queen said, quote, he has quite simply been my strength and stay all these years. I owe him a debt greater than he would ever claim. So what do you think of those family tributes, Jessica? I think they're all really very touching. Um, it was nice to be able to hear just personal perspectives of everyone. I, I remember when, I think it was last week or, or sometime over the weekend, um, the Clarence House Instagram page released a video of Charles speaking and I watched it and, and just thought how difficult that must be to get up there and in front of the cameras and speak like that so soon after his passing and um, just listening to the vo his voice and the way he spoke, um, you know, you could just sense um, the pain that he was feeling and the closeness of the family. And, um, you know, it, it's so nice, I'm sure, for all of them to have these um, letters that the public can write and send in online um, and share memories or condolences. And, um, and, and I just feel like it's, it's really been a time where, you know, we talked about during the pandemic, everyone tried to come together and, and, and talk about how we're all going through this together and, and support each other. But this feels like that too. It feels like everyone is, um, is supporting the family and, and I think they feel the love. Yeah, and, and listeners, if you want to send your condolences on Philip's passing, you can go to the Royal Family's website and there is an online condolence book that you can sign, even if you're in Birmingham, Alabama, like we are. So you can get on there and, and share your love and your thoughts and prayers for the family. So Philip passed away just before what would have been his 100th birthday on June 10th. He was the son of Prince Andrew of Greece and Denmark and Princess Alice of Battenberg and a descendant of England's Queen Victoria. Though he was born in Greece, he was raised primarily in England and he joined the British Royal Navy where he served during World War II. Thank you for your service, sir. Philip gave up his Greek and Danish titles and any claim to foreign thrones and became a British citizen, adopting the surname Mountbatten from his mother's family. Of course, he did so to marry the queen. After their wedding in 1947, Elizabeth and Philip spent around two years from 1949 to 1951 living in Malta while he was based there in the Navy. This is often referred to as the best time in their lives. This is very well captured on the crown. It was Philip who broke the news of her father's death to a devastated Elizabeth in 1952 while on a royal tour in Kenya. And it was he who knew even before she did that she was now queen. An aide told Philip and dispatched Philip to tell the queen because the aide knew that she would want to hear that news from the love of her life. It would soften the blow possibly. Although Philip always knew his place, which was specifically several public steps behind the queen, the very outspoken Philip seemed to really hate the confines of royal duty at times. And he was famous, we have to say, for putting his foot in his mouth on numerous occasions. Philip would even have said that about himself and he did. So Philip was a husband of 73 years. He was a father of four, a grandfather of eight, and a great-grandfather of 10, soon to be 11, of course. 
He has been a beacon of public service for over 73 years and his influence on the family just cannot be ignored. While the queen, one might say, was the CEO of the firm, it was Philip who was the CEO of the family. He was a patron, a president or member of over 780 organizations. And he served as the chairman of the Duke of Edinburgh's award, which is a self-improvement program for young people aged 14 to 24. He was the longest serving consort of a reigning British monarch and the longest lived male of the British royal family. He retired from his royal duties in 2017 in August of that year at 96 years old, having completed, Jessica, get this, 22,219 solo engagements and 5,493 speeches since 1952. He also authored 14 books. So Philip has often been described as an alpha male in a beta role. And perhaps what will be remembered most about Philip is his sense of humor, his commitment to service, and mostly his deep and abiding love for his wife, the queen. Rest in peace, Philip. I'm very shocked that I got through all of that without getting emotional. So I am going to turn it over to Jessica, who is going to talk about some of Philip's finest attributes and what made him the Queen's Prince Charming. So I wanted to use this segment, um, like Rachel said, to really outline the qualities of a Prince Charming as inspired by Prince Philip. So on this podcast, we talk a lot about the women of the British royal family and even royal women throughout Europe, but we don't dedicate a ton of time focusing on the men. So I figured today in remembrance of Prince Philip, we can take some time to discuss who he was and share some inspiration from him on the qualities of a dashing Prince Charming. Um, because after all, he was quite charming. Rachel and I were just talking before we got on the podcast to record about how attractive he was um, in his Honestly, in his younger years, but even in his older years, he was a very attractive man. He was a very, very attractive man. So speaking of Prince Charming, Rachel, did you know that Prince Philip in the Disney 1959 movie Sleeping Beauty was named after the Duke of Edinburgh? I did not know that. That's adorable. <laughs> yeah. So according to DisneyFandom.com, the Sleeping Beauty Prince was the first Disney prince to be given a proper name and the first Disney prince with a developed character. Um, and when they were making this movie in the 50s, the Duke of Edinburgh was the most well-known real-life prince to Americans at that time. So he inspired the name for the prince in Sleeping Beauty. I love that. And I can't believe I didn't know that. I will <laughs> never watch Sleeping Beauty the same again. Yeah. Um, so you know, whether you are a male listening to this podcast and you want some inspiration or whether you're a female and you want some inspiration for the men in your life or you're just listening, I hope this provides some fun um, and just some really interesting stuff about Prince Philip that, that our listeners may not know. Um, some of it is lighthearted and, and some of it's a little bit more serious, but the first quality of a dashing Prince Charming is that he loves Land Rovers. 
So <laughs> Prince Philip definitely loved Land Rovers. He preferred to drive them. They were his car of choice when he was taking a personal drive. Um, he's been seen through the years driving both the Land Rover Discovery and the Land Rover Freelander. Um, and as a matter of fact, um, I went to the Land Rover website this past week and they've actually covered their homepage with the Duke's photo and a statement. Um, and, and they put on there, our thoughts and condolences are with Her Majesty the Queen and the Royal Family at this time. His Royal Highness devoted his life to public service and made a significant contribution to British manufacturing, engineering and design. So that tells you how much he was involved with and, and loved Land Rovers. And um, and of course the Land Rover will be transporting him um, on Saturday at his funeral. Right, yeah, that was uh, my next point was you, you had just mentioned that his coffin will be transported to St. George's Chapel in a purpose-built Land Rover that he helped design himself. Um, and it will be flanked by military pallbearers. So um, if you're looking for a Prince Charming, make sure he drives the Land Rover. Well. <laughs> Good, good luck with that, ladies. But you know, <laughs> not really. But but dream. Anymore, we do Land Rovers. So the next quality of a Prince Charming is that he loves to cook. Um, so many people may not know this about Prince Philip, but he especially loved to cook breakfast food. And on occasion, he was known to whip up late night eats for himself and Her Majesty after royal staff had been dismissed for the evening. Some of his favorite dishes to cook included scrambled eggs, smoked haddock, sauteed mushrooms, bacon, omelets, and something called scotch woodcock, which if you're not familiar with that, is apparently scrambled eggs and anchovies on toast. Um, he was also a big fan of salmon, spicy food, and grilled meats like venison. He was known to grill frequently at Balmoral, and he even traveled with an electric frying pan with glass lid so he could cook for himself when he was away on trips. Um, I thought that was really cool and interesting. Yeah. And um, another little fact about Philip, even though he lived in England where everyone loves hot tea, he actually preferred to drink coffee. I mean, Harry said it himself that he was the master of the barbecue, so. Yes, I know when you said that, I, I thought about that. So um, that was really interesting. The next quality of a Prince Charming is that he is artistic and has a way with words. So it might surprise our listeners to know that one of Prince Philip's hobbies was oil painting. Mm. In his private time, he painted several portraits and landscapes, and some of these are kept in the Royal Collection Trust today. His most famous work is titled The Queen at Breakfast, which he completed in 1965, and is a painting of Her Majesty reading the newspaper while eating breakfast in the dining room at Windsor Castle. Did you know that, Rachel? I did not. Yeah, no. um, I actually it's looked this up. Fascinating by the moment like as, as this week, I'm sorry I just cut you off but as this week has gone on you know and I've been reading so 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 much about Philip he is such a fascinating man like he just is a man of many interests many talents and just lived life to the fullest he did he took advantage of his of his years here on earth and, and he did a lot and um definitely encourage you and our listeners to go look up the queen at breakfast you can see it online and it's actually a really great painting um i really liked it so 
Um, well, his talent doesn't stop there. You know, I mentioned he has a way with words. He spoke three different languages and he was also a writer, as you mentioned, Rachel. He's written um, several different books on environmentalism, horses, and even birds. A few titles of the books that he wrote include Birds from Britannia, Down to Earth, and Survival of Extinction, A Christian Attitude to the Environment. And I bet that his interest in environmentalism really sparked Charles's and which has gone on to spark William and Harry's. And I bet that, you know, he really was a catalyst for that. Yeah, I thought that as well. So our fourth quality of Prince Charming is he's fiercely loyal. This can apply to many areas of Prince Philip's life. Um, you know, he was incredibly loyal to his country um, and his role as consort to the queen. He dedicated more than 70 years of his life to public service, including 13 years of active military service. Um, but we can't forget his loyalty to Her Majesty on a personal level as well. As a traditional alpha male, he gave up his Greek and Danish titles to marry the queen. Um, he was her loving and devoted husband. He supported her for 73 years and um, really gave his life to her reign. He did. And I think, you know, the queen would have been fantastic at her role no matter what. But I think she and everyone else would agree that she's a better queen and a better woman because of their partnership. Well, he was really by her side throughout all of her life, really. And, and I have thought this week how many times over the years they have spoken privately and, and she's maybe sought his advice or his guidance on decisions and, and things she had to do. And um, it's really interesting to think about the impact that, that he did actually have behind the scenes on her, on her oh, reign. Oh, a huge impact. If you, if you'll recall, it was Philip who pressed into the queen to make that speech when Diana died. Um, he made that decision. And then, you know, if you'll remember, Philip was such a commanding force in the family. I, I mentioned earlier, he was like the CEO of the family. Um, he was the one, Philip, that told Charles in regards to Diana, you either need to break up with this girl or you need to marry her. Keeping yeah. in mind that they'd only been, Charles and Diana have only been around one another, I think 13 times. And mm -hmm. so he said, you know, this is a young girl. You either need to marry her or let her go. And, um, and of course, Charles married her. So he had, Philip had enormous influence and power over the members of his family. So number five of our Prince Charming is he's athletic and loves sports. When Prince Philip was in boarding school in Scotland, he was captain of both the cricket team and the hockey team. He played polo until he was, I think, close to 50 years old. And he was also known to love carriage driving, which is, you know, you know, a carriage, like a four-wheeled carriage that's pulled by horses. Um, that was something he, he was really into. And then um, he also learned, earned his pilot's license in 1959 and enjoyed flying so much. He logged uh, almost 6,000 hours in the air and flew 59 different types of aircrafts. He was the first member of the royal family to fly a helicopter out of Buckingham Palace Garden. Wow. So definitely an adventurous type. I mean, this man just like, 
took his life and lived it to the full he lived i feel like he lived like always like he was on borrowed time which is interesting because he ended up living to be 99 which is quite a life but you know his sister died in a plane crash when he was young and maybe that really sparked him to live every day as though it were his last and just get the most soak the most out of every day yeah, I mean, he did. He had a tough childhood. And I, I think there were several members of his family who, um, you know, had shorter, certainly shorter lives than he did. And, and I'm sure that had an impact on how he lived his. Um, we were talking about Monaco a few weeks ago in the podcast. Rachel, I don't know if you know this, but Prince Philip's parents divorced when he was 10 and his father ended up moving to Monte Carlo and um, had a gambling and, and drinking obsession there um, and, and had sort of a reputation for that. So um, I thought that was interesting because we were just talking about Monica a few weeks ago. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Of course, you know, Philip's mother was very heavily covered in the crown. If listeners, if you have not seen the crown, I'm not really sure what you're doing listening to this podcast, go stop <laughs> listening to us and go watch it. But there's a very beautiful episode about um, Alice, who is Philip's mother. Um, I won't spoil it, but it's, it's so fascinating. So number six um, on, on our list of qualities is he has classic timeless style. If you look at photos of Prince Philip throughout the decades of his life, you can imagine his outfits would probably be appropriate for really any of those years. He, he was really great at choosing classic looks. Um, I kind of thought when I was looking at some photos of him this past week that he looks like a catalog model in a lot of his photos. And there are so many photos out there right now. Um, go out there and take a look at them. Um, he just, he, he looks great in all of his pictures, um, but his wardrobe consisted of handmade suits and shoes, barber jackets, hunter rain boots, leather watches, um, mostly kind of neutral colors. Um, and in 2016, he made GQ's 50 best dressed men in Britain and he came in at number 12, which funnily enough, um, Prince Harry also made the list and came in at 38. So he beat out his grandson. <laughs> I mean, it took, hopefully he made that list prior to 2016. Surely it didn't take GQ that long to figure out that he's a stylish guy. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was so funny. That, that is funny. So uh, number seven um, is that your Prince Charming can make you laugh. Prince Philip was widely known for his, sort of this blunt, humorous, uh, the type of remarks that he made uh, were just very, very straightforward. Some people found it a little off-putting or offensive, but others were really quite amused and really enjoyed hearing his, his lines when he had something to say. So I pulled a few lines throughout the years. Um, I looked at a couple different sites. The main one I got these from was uh, womeninhome.com. And these are really funny. I, some of his stuff, I think, has been said to be, you know, politically incorrect or whatever, but um, but they'll definitely make you laugh. So he once commented on Princess Anne's love of horses by saying, if it doesn't fart or eat hay, she isn't interested. <laughs> <laughs> and he also one time at the Scottish Women's Institute in 1961 said, British women can't cook. Okay. At a dinner party once. He's married to a British woman, but okay. Yeah, well, I'm sure she, it sounds like he did most of the cooking in their 
in their Where marriage. can I sign up for that kind of, do I have to be a monarch to get that kind of treatment? <laughs> <laughs> so at a dinner party one time, <laughs> I guess that maybe he was frustrated with the seating arrangement or trying to all get situated. He yelled, bugger the table plan, give me my dinner. <laughs> <laughs> And in 1986, he commented after seeing the Duke of York's house by saying, it looks like a Tarts bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he like, you always know where you stood with this man. Right. Yeah. So I've got a few more here. One time when visiting Bristol University's engineering facility, he said, it doesn't look like much work goes on at this university. <laughs> <laughs> what did he mean by that? I wonder. I don't know. Oh my. And then let's see in 1969 on a visit to Canada, I guess they were having some sort of event and they were trying to get it started. I don't know. And, and he said, I declare this thing open, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Philip said that and I bet every other Royal has wanted to say that at some point in their career. <laughs> Probably so. Yeah. <laughs> One time he told a Scottish driving instructor, how do you keep the natives off the booze long enough to pass the test? <laughs> <laughs> and then, okay, the last one I've got, um, once he was offered fine wine by um, the Italian prime minister and he responded with, get me a beer. I don't care what kind it is. Just get me a beer. <laughs> well, and even Harry called that out in his tribute that he loved him some beer. So apparently he was a favorite among royal staff and they really just loved his, his humor. And I think they lived for his remarks. So I, I really enjoyed reading I mean, all of this. Talk about entertaining, right? And look, I want to take a moment to say that like Prince Philip was not perfect. Okay. Like even he would say that. Um, and so we're not trying to deify this guy and like make him out to be Mother Teresa or a patron saint. Right. He wasn't. He was very imperfect. He had an off-color sense of humor. But <laughs> you know what? What I probably admire most about Philip is that he was exactly who he said he was. He it was one of the most authentic, genuine members of the family. And he was himself. And truly deeply himself and I love people that are themselves and embrace who they are so please don't misunderstand like we're not saying Philip is some perfect person but mm -hmm. we are saying that you know he lived a life of service and love and that is to be celebrated and it's okay to not be uptight and to have a good laugh sometimes I mean you that's the, get, that's the only way to get through this life is to laugh and the only way you're going to make it to 99 is if you get that sense of humor right. intact because life is hard <laughs> so number eight on our our list of qualities of our prince charming is he really doesn't like to be in the spotlight um it's pretty well known uh you mentioned this rachel that prince philip tried to stay out of the spotlight and he really preferred a quiet life at home many people have referenced over this past week um you know him wanting a a quiet private funeral like you said rachel and um you know with the COVID lockdowns and, and everything, they're limiting it to 30 people, mostly close relatives. And I think that's exactly what he would have preferred. It's more um, than he could have ever asked for probably. He's probably like so thankful that, you know, it is exactly what he wished for. Yeah, and, and actually pr uh, prior to COVID lockdowns, he was spending most of his time away from Buckingham Palace and Windsor Castle. And he was living at Wood Farm on the Sandringham Estate. 
Um, he was said to be very down to earth. Um, he didn't like to talk about himself a lot. And, um, and, and he and the, the queen have both um, always enjoyed living sort of more modestly um, and, mm -hmm. and having a, a quiet sort of simple life. Um, and actually I pulled this from a website as well. Um, in an interview with the BBC one time, he was asked if he had been, if he thought he had been successful in his role. And his reply was, who cares what I think? I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just think that's a really good example of, of someone who, you know, it's not about them. Um, he doesn't care what he thinks. Um, yep. He doesn't want to be in the spotlight. It's about what everybody else thinks. Yeah. So. Yep. All right. Number nine is our Prince Charming loves children. Um, you know, with four kids of his own and numerous grandchildren and great grandchildren, he loved kids. And um, we, like you mentioned, Rachel, just saw an adorable photo on Kensington Royals Instagram account this week of him taking Prince George for a carriage ride. Um, and, and just this week, the Duke of York actually referred to him as the grandfather of the nation, which I think is a testament to how he's viewed in the family. He's a warm grandfatherly figure. And lastly, on this list, we've got number 10, our Prince Charming is caring. Um, it's uh, been said that Prince Philip stayed very close to William and Harry in the days following Princess Diana's passing. Um, our, our listeners may recall the boys didn't want to walk behind their mother in her funeral. It was a difficult time for them to be in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. And um, he reportedly commented in their defense um, saying, you know, we're talking about two boys who just lost their mother. And when they were asked to, to walk behind um, the coffin, um, he actually came close to William and he said, if I walk, will you walk with me? And we know that that Prince Philip did walk alongside Prince William, Prince Harry, Prince Charles, and Diana's brother, Earl Spencer. Um, and I think that just shows um, the heart that he had. And, and he was um, close with his family and, and really did care about others. I love that story. And that story might be my favorite Philip story because it epitomizes everything that he is. Duty, but even more than duty, family. Mm -hmm. And he was right there beside the boys. And I think that uh, and now I am going to start getting, getting emotional. I just, it, he, he was so devoted to his family. He was. And on that note, I know you mentioned a, a little bit about the love story of, of him and, and Queen Elizabeth. And I had a little bonus thing here I was going to share. These are just five, um, can I come up with five or six, maybe six, um, tips for a lasting love and marriage from Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth. So number one, something that we can learn from them is to always support your partner's dreams and goals. Philip supported Her Majesty in the most extreme ways. Um, as I mentioned, he gave up his titles to marry her and he walked in her shadow for the entirety of their marriage. Um, but in return, she loved him fiercely and she never took his support for granted. Mm. Number two, always travel together with your significant other. 
I would venture to say these two may have visited more countries around the world than any other couple. I can't say that for certain, but they've been around the globe many, many times from Malta to Tonga, Sierra Leone, Tanzania, Malaysia, even Yugoslavia. The list really goes on. Um, and I read somewhere online that um, he accompanied the queen on all of her 251 royal tours. Wow. So traveling is the perfect way to create a new shared experience with your partner and, and can bring you closer together. Number three, honor your commitment, even during the hard times. Um, you know, no one's married for more than seven decades without experiencing difficult times in their life and in their marriage. And, and through it all, the ups and the downs, they stayed by each other's sides and they got through it together. He once said about their marriage, I think the main lesson we have learned is that tolerance is the one essential ingredient in any happy marriage. You can take it from me. The queen has the quality of tolerance and abundance. <laughs> I love a good person that can self-deprecate like that. Number four, nicknames never hurt. Um, I don't know, our listeners may know this, but he lovingly called her majesty cabbage. That was his nickname I for her. This. I love this story. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if you have any more comments on it. I just thought that's just such a sweet, funny little name to call. To call so much love. And then number five, Focus on the family. Um, it's clear the royal family is close. We see them spend holidays together. They even work together. They live fairly close to each other for the most part. It's evident that they show up and support each other during big life events. And I think this was fostered through the example and encouragement of Prince Philip and the Queen. Um, you know, even this week, as we've heard from, from so many in the family speaking out to say thoughtful words about Philip, it's evident that they're close and he prioritizes relationship with each of them. Mm -hmm. And then lastly, be romantic. Um, Philip made quite a few romantic gestures throughout the years. Not only did he quit smoking the day before his wedding, um, he made a wedding gift to Her Majesty. Um, he had a bracelet made with stones from his mother's tiara, and that was his wedding gift to Queen Elizabeth. And then um, he also wrote once in a letter to Queen Elizabeth's mother, to have been spared in the war and seen victory, to have been given the chance to rest and readjust myself, to have fallen in love completely and undeservedly makes all one's personal and even the world's troubles seem small and petty. Wow. What a romantic in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I hope I hope that was a fun little segment amidst, you know, the the sorrow we felt this last week. Um, it's always important to take some time to smile and, and celebrate life. And he had quite a life um, to, yeah, to recap and, and to talk about. And I hope, really hope that it inspires our listeners to um, wake up every day and, and live your best life. And live it to the full. And I can confidently say, Jessica, that Philip would have absolutely hated this episode. And that means we got it right. Because he <laughs> so hated to be in the spotlight and have... Um, just be 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 lauded and praised and spoken about he was just one of those well let's just get on with it type men like William said and so so much that we could say but this is a small token of our appreciation for the man that Philip was and the husband that he was the father the family man the servant leader and we will miss you sir and we look forward to honoring you on Saturday at the funeral 
and our heartfelt sympathies go out to the queen and the rest of the family on this loss. I know that if we're feeling this loss this acutely, then I can't imagine what they're going through. So any final words on Prince Philip? I'll just repeat what you just said. Um, you know, we certainly feel thankful for his service to his country and, and really to people all throughout the world. Well, listeners, don't forget if you're compelled and inspired by this episode or by anything else you've heard about Prince Philip's life, go leave a message on the online condolence book and we will chat with you next week. We will cover the funeral and um, every other royal piece of news that happens in the next week. So with that, we say uh, goodbye, good sir, and thank you for a life well lived. Thank you.